This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. We are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome to our show. It is Saturday, Saturday, March 8th, so... Uh, we're just going to call this Satellite Sisters Express because we're doing this a day earlier than we normally do. I'm Liz Dolan. I'm in Santa Monica, California, and I'm joined by my sister Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. How are you doing, Joel? Liz, I'm great, and I love how you just rebrand yeah. or brand anything, Liz. That's, <laughs> that's what I like about it, Liz. Things don't exist unless they're branded, Julie. They just don't really intrude into your consciousness. Yeah, so it's, it's expressed because we have no idea how much material we have for today and because it's a day earlier and because it's just you and me. So right. we're going to, we're probably going to be a little faster than normal. Leon is at a uh, celebrity author event in Santa Barbara, and she is one of the celebrity authors, so that sounds really fun. So she's away for the weekend. Uh, Monica apparently was traveling this week in Arizona, so was just getting home, so she wasn't free. And as soon as Sheila heard that Monica wasn't free, she said she's out. <laughs> I mean, was that, it was like... One minute after Monica's email came in, <laughs> Sheila buzzed back in. Oh, she's not available. When she was planning to be on the show. With she, a lot of she was previously available. Right. Yeah, yeah right. she had picked up a lot of material. But no, but no doubt she'll be back. Uh, so They want to come back strong with the Lab Rats. Last week we asked them to do a Lab Rats on Sleep Whispers. So hopefully this week they'll get it together to do that. We can't make any promises, but, well, you'll find out next weekend. Uh, well, first of all, first of all, I, first of all, or first off, whichever way you want it, um, I want to wish you a happy International Women's Day. Thank it, you, Julie. Thank did you. Did you know it was International Women's Day? Well, well I, you probably did, Liz. I, I work with a lot of international women. So, yes, I did know that. And also, like, in my Twitter feed, because I have a lot of people from outside the United States, there is a lot of chatter about International Women's Day going on today. Even Lindsay Vaughn, the skier, who I follow yes. on Twitter, she uh-huh. wished the whole world a happy International Women's Day today, Julie. But I've always been slightly bitter about the fact that this is just not a meaningful event here in the United States. I know, Liz, and it's such an excellent holiday. If you're not really familiar with the tradition of International Women's Day, it's a day when all men must stop what they're doing and they have to honor the women in their lives. Mothers, daughters, sisters, wives, aunts, you name it. And they have to provide them with flowers or cards or a little token of appreciation. It's a way to celebrate all women. So it's a, it's a super great holiday. Well, Liz, and it, but it isn't really for some, and it's a big deal everywhere else but the United States. Mm-hmm. But I have an idea, Liz, because I heard this week that there is a group um, of people, they, they're baseball fans, Liz, and that if you um, put together 60,000 signatures, 
Congress will consider a new national holiday. If you get if you get 60,000 signatures, um, Congress is, I guess, uh, is forced to act to consider a new national holiday. And there are a group of baseball fans that have put together 60,000 signatures because they would like the opening day of baseball to be a national holiday. <laughs> well, I could support that too. That would be great. That would be really fun. Liz, but think, think about it. It would be good, but it's a slippery slope because then you know, of course, you know, then football is going to need its own day. And then match, ma- March Madness and, you know, NFL draft. I mean, there'd be all sorts of really lame days. But just think about it. If we got 60,000 signatures, we could make International Women's Day a national holiday. And then, indeed, we would be joining the whole global spirit for International Women's Day. I like it. I like it. You know, okay. I, because, I'm a, because I'm not a mother, um, you know, I'm, I, Mother's Day is nobody honors me. Ever. Like, and even people don't even remember my birthday. Or they do, but in a bad way. Because don't get down. Don't get down. You got to stay up. It's it's International Women's Day. So I just, you know, I would just think I'm one of the women who deserve a day. And I know that there are many others out there, like me. So, okay, I would be for that. Um, It's funny you start with that, Julie, because I also have a story related to International Women's Day and something that is happening right here in the United States that all of our listeners can participate in. And it's not happening today. So say you're listening to this podcast on Sunday when we normally record instead of Saturday, you still have time to catch up with an event that uh, two friends of ours are hosting on Monday. You may recall Lisa Lax and Nancy Stern are mm-hmm. the twin sisters who run a production company called Lookalike Productions. And they have been on Satellite Sisters in the past. In fact, they've been our Satellite Sisters of the Week uh, based on other documentaries they have produced. Well, one of the projects they've been doing, they both come out of sports. They've worked at ABC and NBC, two different sports networks, and they do a lot of sports-related production. So they have put together a great program called Women Athletes Business Network. And basically, it's sort of an employment program, but it's to help elite female athletes transition from sports into their next career. So as part of this, they have Ernst & Young has come on as a sponsor of Women Athletes Business Network, and Ernst & Young has created a whole online webcast for Monday uh, where they have all these great athletes talking about their careers and leadership and, you know, sort of the lessons of their lives. So I'll post all the information on our website, but it's Ernst & Young who's hosting it. It's um, on Monday at 11 a.m. East Coast time. And it's global, so I'll post all of that. Uh, but among the women athletes who are part of the webcast are Martina Navratilova. That's excellent. Would be cool. Summer Sanders, who oh, we uh, love. Yes. Um, Dame Kelly Holmes, who is a British double Olympic champion uh, in the 800 meters and the 1500s and uh, does a lot of charitable work in the UK, and several other athletes from all over the world, from Brazil and uh, from Asia. And uh, it's also one of the hosts is another woman who's been on Satellite Sisters before, Donna DiVarona, uh, the U.S. Olympic swimming champion and really one of the first female sportscasters in the United States. So if you want to just hear what they're thinking, hear about what they're thinking about women in leadership, hear what they're up to, uh, I think this will be a really interesting way to just 
you know, boycott whatever your job is for an hour or two on Monday. Just pretend your employer is actually celebrating International Women's Day and you can, um, you can log on to this whole thing, which is actually at ey.com, which is ernstandyoung.com. But as I say, I will post the information on our blog and on our Facebook page. It just seems like we've all got something to learn here and these are women we could learn something from. Huh. But it's a live event, right? Is that it's a live webcast? Yeah, let me see. I think it's a live webcast, but normally what they do with those things is then they leave everything up. So even if you're late, you can catch up with it at any time. Oh, that's good. That's that good. is correct. It's live at uh, 11 a.m. East Coast time, 3 p.m. UK time, 4 p.m. Central Europe, and 8.30 p.m. Indian time. So it really is a global event. Um, uh, I don't know. It should be interesting. So there's that. Then, then, oh, 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 then I actually have breaking news. Oh, yes. I have breaking news, Julie. Breaking news. Breaking news on our Saturday Express podcast? Yes, Satellite Sisters Express. We we pushed up our deadline today so that we could break news for you. And if you're listening to this a year and a half from now, um, really not much we can do about that. Uh, But, (laughs) hey, you're listening to this this weekend as we record. Um, I have a little announcement to make. And it's, All right, Liz. And it's from the White House, Julie. This is an announcement from the White House of the United States of America. You know how I've been working on this TV show for the last, you know, year or so called Cosmos. What, what would that be called, Liz? <laughs> it would be called Cosmos, a space-time odyssey. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on this show. No, no. <laughs> Maybe. It's vaguely familiar. Yes, Maybe yes. I have. Anyway, so um, Cosmos premieres in the United States Sunday night on the National Geographic Channel and the Fox channels uh, at at 9 p.m. And I work on all the channels outside the United States, so it's also running on uh, 200 channels outside the United States. And we're reaching, Julie, just FYI, half a billion people with this show tomorrow. A half a billion people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I may have mentioned on a previous show that this is the biggest launch in television history. I don't know. Yeah. Did I mention that? Yes, you did. Maybe yes. I did. Well, it's true. Anyway, just as if that's not enough. Like, you got your biggest launch in television history. You've got the reboot of Cosmos. You've got half a billion homes. Well, today, uh, it was announced from the White House that the introduction to the television show that you will see when you tune in at 9 o'clock Sunday night will be delivered by President Barack Obama. <gasps> That is correct. He is. Do- wow. <laughs> how, how did you get the president of the United States? You know. Your work for you. How did you do that? We have our ways. Uh, yeah, I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> so, you, didn't, you didn't like bump into him at a no. summit or something? No, nope, I was yeah. not summiting uh, with Barack. No, this is because he sees the show and really lots of people in, um, in education and science see this show as a way to reignite people's curiosity about science and math and support a lot of the STEM initiatives in, uh, in education. He wanted to make a point of saying this is the kind of worthwhile television that we should be creating, that we should be watching. And so they just told us a couple days ago that he has taped a little 30-second intro uh, to the show, just to let people know how excited he is about it, and that a presidential seal of approval is yep. that is that is very good work. It is very good work. Again, not by me. And, uh, and the, the dilemma for me, of course, is I do not work on the United States of America in any way. And so his 30 seconds, you know, I've seen it. It's about 
It's about American leadership and American leadership in science and technology and what's it going to take to like always be a leader. So when I got the official email like yesterday with the script about what the president was going to say, I actually emailed back to the bunch of like the inside people who are working on it. It's like, we would be happy to use this in the rest of the world. Is there any way we can just bleep out the word America? (laughs) Or what I am thinking, Liz... I, I don't know why you're not on the phone with President Putin. That's the international version. Because we've had a lot of Russian leadership this week. That's true. Uh, that perhaps this might be your show. Could we could like it could bring people together? You maybe, know, maybe I could. It's a chance, Liz. Uh-huh. You know, so uh, I, I think you should put out a call to um, to President Putin. Okay, that's a good tip, Julie. So anyway, it's this is pretty exciting for a show like this. You know, it's a big risky television show because it really is. You know, the kind of thing that people don't make anymore. Like big, glossy, expensive uh, shows about science and humanity and history and all of that. So anyway, it's nice to know that the the president is giving it a little nudge. So if anyone out there can too, you know, it's going to be, believe me, if you miss it on Sunday night on the National Geographic channel all week, it will be repeated many times. So all right, because I have two things I have to remember to spring forward tomorrow. We have to oh, change our clocks. I know. And and I want to set my DVR for the show. So okay. those are my those are my two things I am going to do uh, tomorrow morning. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Um, but you have a super busy day tomorrow, don't you? I do, Liz. I do. We have a very special day um, in in our house. We are having the christening of baby Peter. This is my third grandchild, Peter, who was born in De- uh, December. We're going to have his baptism uh, Sunday afternoon. And you know, Liz, this it's it's the, um, um, we're doing the baptism. I, we're saying we're doing the baptism. I'm in charge of the baptism, Liz. That was that was. <laughs> That's I just as, as my way to help out because it's... Uh, that's good, as, Nana. Yeah, yeah, that's a good... That's Nana's job. But one of the things um, I'm doing uh, shortly after this uh, podcast, podcast express, Liz, is I'm ironing the christening gown that... Uh, our mother was baptized in all of all of the Dolan children were baptized in. Um, my sons were baptized in this, and now um, the grandchildren uh, are baptized in it too. So four generations, and and you know, mom always kept this christening gown, and she always, you know, I I don't know if you went to any baptisms with her. She always fussed a lot about she the christening did. gown. Yes. I mean, it was weeks in pre- in preparing it and i don't know repairing it and right and as generations have gone on and babies have gotten bigger yes. some of the babies just could not quite make it into the gown without yes. slitting open the back of it or all kinds yes. of adjustments yes. Yes, there was all all of that. I think um, Benjamin, uh, my uh, first grandson, yeah, he he almost bust the whole thing out because he was a little big. But Peter's a little skinnier, so I'm I'm very hopeful. I've been sizing him up all week. I think he's going to be able to slip into the gown. But it just it just struck me that you know mom was always in charge of this, and now. I guess I'm in charge of the christening gown. That is, you know, the torch has been passed to a new generation. And, you know, so it will mean as, you know, as uh, our nieces and nephews get married and they have, you know, they have, you know, children that that I will be, you know, passing on this gown and making sure it comes back to me so that so that we, you know, we keep this in our family because we don't have many. 
family traditions like this, but this is one of them. And uh, I just, I was really struck with that. I'm also, I'm going to a wedding of a good friend in a couple of weeks. And she informed me, she said, you know, she was looking over the wedding list and she said, do you realize that you and your husband, Julie, are the oldest married couple coming to the wedding? Oh, that's (laughs) depressing. She shouldn't have told you that. I think she's planning on mentioning it at (laughs) the, you know, rehearsal dinner in some thoughtful, loving way. But it was like, whoa. Can we just reinforce that you're still in your 50s? How how could that be? Well, I mean, when, I mean, there, you know, there is, there is not an older generation coming to the wedding. Okay. They have all passed on and that apparently, uh, because I was a child bride, got married very (laughs) young out of college that, um, that makes that we've had, we're the oldest married couple at this event. So, so I don't know about that, Liz, but, um, but there you have it. So, uh, I am, you know, now the keeper of the christening gown and I guess I'll bring it. The the oldest married couple in Texas. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry about that, Julie. So, um, okay. Just so you don't feel too bad about it. I'm going to switch back to breaking news. Uh, because the, um, by the way, even while you were telling that charming story, I get several emails from people I work with saying news is on fire. So it's, I just think that's really exciting about it uh, is well it is really exciting Liz, and it is really important and wouldn't it be a great thing if it did inspire you know more kids to be interested in science or technology or engineering or math you know that that you know if this show be, you know really was as popular as the first as yep. the first show yep. you know that that was you know we learned a lot and it you know and it made it made, you know, boring, well, not boring, but, you know, stuff like physics <laughs> yes, uh, right. interesting, you know, so that's good and, yeah. and cool. Maybe it will be cool again, Liz. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I, I can see your hand in that, Liz, that you would, you would bring <laughs> coolness back to the cosmos. Well, we'll see how that goes. But uh, anyway, okay, another um, breaking story on the much less positive side. Uh, yesterday, a Malaysian airliner carrying hundreds of people, um, was lost somewhere between Kuala Lumpur and Beijing. And these are, the, these are the kind of stories that just make your heart sink, right, Julie? I know, Liz. And I, I, you know, I immediately thought of you because you're just back from, you know, an extension. Flying all over Asia, yeah. And, you know, and, and we used, I used to live in Asia. I lived in Bangkok for five years. And, you know, I mean, the thing is that these are, a su- you know, Kuala Lumpur, it's a super modern airport. These are, you know, the Malaysian Air- Airlines is, you know, very, you know, super well run. These are, you know, really good planes and they're flying to Beijing. You know, this was a Boeing 777. So it's just, it's so awful to think about it because, you know, I, I, you know, when I heard that story, I was like, that wasn't a mechanical problem. Right. It wasn't It wasn't because of poor maintenance of the plane or, you know, or even pilot error at 35,000 feet, you know. Yeah. I, so it's just a, um, a terrible, it's a terrible story. It's an unfolding story, and it's tragic for those families. Yes, part of what is coming through today, and again, this news may change by the time you are listening to this show days or weeks from now, but today, the Wall Street Street Journal is reporting that there were several um, 
uh, stolen passports used to get on the plane. And, you know, one was from an Italian citizen that where he's home fine, and, but his, his passport had been stolen a year and a half ago in Thailand. And another one, I believe, was an Austrian citizen whose passport had been stolen in Thailand. So it's kind of shocking to me that in this day and age, with all of the security that we all go through and all of what we believe are the redundancy systems, that it is possible to get on a plane with a stolen passport. All, both of these passports had been reported stolen. It's not like nobody knew they were gone. So wouldn't you think that some, like, tilt button goes <laughs> off? Right. You know, I mean, how many times just recently I got pulled aside for like the random extra scrutiny search, but to uh, that you can still go through any like big time international airport passport control with a stolen passport is pretty alarming. Yeah, I know. And you hate to think, well, why, you know, who's traveling on the stolen passports and what, you know, what were their motives and what, you know, were they in somehow, you know, involved in this catastrophe, you know, catastrophe, you know, that, uh, um, and I know as, as we're talking, they have seen oil slicks off the coast of Vietnam and, you know, they're investigating that. So I'm sure we're going to learn more in the next couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, it's so sad. You know, I really try. You're right. I do a lot of international travel. I just got back from Asia last week. I don't really worry about my travel. I try not to think about it because I feel like there's an unpredictability to it that makes it not worth worrying about, you know. But there are certain things that you assume they're on top of, and one of them is passports, You know, there are a lot of things, like, if they can't figure out what's in your, you know, uh, toothpaste container, okay, that's some kind of new trick, but passports, I just always assumed that they would be able to tell the difference between a fake passport and a real passport, Um, but you never know. Maybe it has nothing to do with it, and maybe it's just a complete fluke, but that is a sad and alarming event unfolding now, so... um, we thought we would just mention that. Yeah. Uh, on a much lighter note, um, Good. I know that uh, here in Los Angeles, we've explained before that we don't have normal seasons the way you people have seasons. <laughs> like fall, winter, spring, summer, you don't have that. We, we, no, we got nothing. We have um, really two main seasons. We have fire season <laughs> and then we have awards season. And fire season and award season often overlap because award season begins in the fall as film festivals start to host the movies that are likely to get the Academy Award nominees. And all of the marketing and all of the posturing and all of the hoo-ha actually begins as early as like the Toronto Film Festival. But what I never knew until I moved to L.A., is how many additional awards there are because here in L.A., it's not just the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes, but every guild has their own awards. So there's the Producers Guild, the Directors Guild, the hair and makeup people, the lighting people, the transportation people, all of the various uh, unions, Wait a minute. The transportation? Okay, I made that up. I'm not sure they really have one, but they should. Okay, Liz. Yeah, that's very important. (laughs) Got to get those stars. Yes, I don't know how they'd get to their own awards because they are the transportation people. Um, 
So, but really, there are lots of subsets, cinematographers, everybody has their own awards. So when you see all of these people like at the Oscars saying, oh, it's so nice to see each other again, you should bear, in the back of your mind, you should know that they saw each other last night and the night before and three months before that. They've just been endlessly going to awards ceremonies. And so what happens like the day after the Oscars in L.A. is there's this huge sigh of relief that award season is over. Yay, we made it. And um, all over the city, people kick off their shoes and caterers go on vacation and, and valets kick back. But today I opened the Los Angeles Times and saw, nope, there's one more award that has not been given out yet. And um, it is, Julie, the a cat to me awards. The, right, say, say that word again, Liz. A cat to me awards. So there is an actual, the Best Friends Animal Society oh. is, is giving out. I'm moaning a, sort of softly <laughs> over here, Liz. It's actually just a very clever way of marketing an adoption fair. But they are, the Best Friends Animal Society uh, this weekend is having their own Academy Awards uh, in case you would like to adopt, as they say, um, uh, a new star or starlet into your family. Oh, so, but is it only cats? It's only cats. It's just oh. a cat to me award. <laughs> There's not an a dog me award. That, that would not be funny. Uh, but nope, it's just cats, and uh, it's this weekend in LA, so um, so good for them. I, it just it made me laugh. Uh, but speaking of dogs, <laughs> to get to give equal time to dogs. Yes, let's do that. Liz. Uh-huh. Um, my life here in Santa Monica, you know, um, Ferris, my dog. Uh, lives here with me too. And we have a nice little walkable neighborhood. That's one of the reasons why I love living in Santa Monica. It's flat and you can walk down to Ocean Avenue that overlooks the ocean. And um, you can really enjoy walking around this neighborhood. However, in Santa Monica, dogs are not allowed on the beach. They're even dogs on leashes. Really? They're not not allowed on the beach at all? Nope. Now, has that always been the rule? It's always been the rule. Nope. Nope. And um, the, I think it's, you know, it's a health regulation. There yes. are, there are so many people on the beach. I mean, it's a city beach, right? It's not, there are a lot of people. And if a lot of people bring a lot of dogs, that's just a lot of dog do, you know? Yes. And it's just not, um, so the, occasionally there's a movement to try to set up a section of the beach that would be dog friendly, but that just never works. Uh, but you know, that's okay. So what Ferris and I do is we sneak north to, uh, to Malibu Mm -hmm. where also dogs are not allowed on the beach, but the laws are not enforced in Malibu. And, uh, it's because because all the stars are there. Is that the reason why? Okay. And the stars want to have their dogs on the beach. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Uh I think I've been to that secret uh, movie star beach in Malibu, Liz, you've yes. taken me there. That has no signage. Mm-hmm. You, you, you yep. drive by it. And unless you knew that there was, you know, public beach access there, you would never see it. Right. That's, that's correct, Julie. So that's what I consider to be my personal dog beach. <laughs> it's also known as carbon beach. And it's also known as Billionaire's Beach. So that will give you a sense of who lives on that stretch of beach and how, how low-key it is. Now, that secret entrance where I have taken you before to, yes. to Carbon Beach, the one thing they did add there now is a giant node dogs sign. <laughs> but 
Ferris does not read, so he does not know that he is not allowed there. And so he just blithely goes right past the sign and, and like, who am I, really, to to make him stop? So, um, <laughs> so anyway, so, just avert your eyes. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. Yeah. All right. What are they going to do? So, uh, but anyway, this is a long way around to say. So one of the the fun things about that stretch of beach is that there's hardly anyone there. The dogs are there. Are a few dogs running around, and that's fun. But it's also kind of an entertaining real estate tour, as you've noticed, Julie. These are some mega houses on the beach. This is I, like, I believe this is where you, you, you said, well, Jennifer Aniston lives over here, and you pointed out some movie mogul that lived next door. Right, right. Yes, La- yes. Larry Ellison lives there. Yes. Right, yes. right. And, in fact, I, at one point, Ferris was even romping, romping with Jennifer Aniston's dog. <laughs> um, so, you know, so we're tight. The, the dog was being walked by Jennifer Aniston's uh, bodyguard. Uh, so... <laughs> So anyway, I don't know if, if Jen lives there anymore, uh, but I did notice that the, I've always thought, wouldn't it be nice to live on Carbon Beach, you know, to have your own little place, you could walk your dog off leash all the time. And I saw, boom, in today's real estate section, which is always super glossy in Los Angeles, the Saturday morning real estate section, that one of my favorite homes on that stretch of beach is for sale, Julie. So well, snap it up, Liz. I think this is our big you, opportunity. I think we should make a move. For? Yeah. Well, here's what I'm waiting for. Um, I'm waiting for $29,995,000. No wonder I liked it. It looked good. Yeah. It's, it's, but the good news is it comes just in under $30 million. So if that's your limit, if you're like absolutely not going to spend any more than $30 million, um, here you go. Like one of my favorite houses, you could snap that right up for that amount. And it is, uh, it says this elegant six bedroom, nine bath beachfront residence is beautifully appointed on prestigious Carbon Beach. So I'm relieved to know that for my 25 of $29 million that it's, uh, I'm getting some beautiful appointments. Because yes, that, that's good. I mean, you wouldn't want to have to uh, replace that because you're no. spending your whole real estate budget. You're not going to have any right. money for, for reno on right. that. Yes, <laughs> no. right. Right. And yeah. I don't have any of my own beautiful appointments now. So I needed to come <laughs> fully beautifully appointed. You, will, you, will, you won't be able to afford any DIY projects, Liz, <laughs> with that house. Yeah. But I like it that it has six bedrooms, Liz, because you're yeah. the thinker, but we're the freeloading relatives that would be happy to come visit you at, at your, in your new home. Yes, and you have a nice big dog. Zorro, I think, would yes. enjoy it. Has Zorro, I, he's a, you know, Texas and Colorado dog. Has he ever actually been to a beach? Uh, no. Now, he is not, he is a Labrador. He is a black lab. Yeah. Uh, but he's not really a swimmer. He's more of a soaker. He likes, he's like, because he's an English lab. And I think he takes after the English style of where they like to soak in a bathtub. That's what he likes to do. So I'm sure he would like soaking in the water um, uh, off the uh, the Pacific Ocean there. Okay, well, but... there's a pool at this house too, Joel. So oh, maybe good. you could just jump into the pool. Okay. okay. I know Leon's German Shepherd, Mia, loves jumping into their pool. So, okay. Good. Uh, I think Mia would enjoy this. Good. Um, good. Okay. So, um, you know, maybe Ferris and I will take a little trip up there this afternoon and uh, see if they'll let us in. You I should go to the open house, Liz. <laughs> I think that's it. I don't know what you would have to show people to get into an open house for a house that's $30 million. Million dollars. Yeah. yeah there, might be, there might be some little background check. I <laughs> don't know. Be. 
<laughs> I, I'm not certain, but uh, again, I've never really shopped for a house in that market, so I really don't no, know. Me neither. I th- but Liz, I mean, you should just tell them you just heard uh, you have big news from the White House. I mean, just <laughs> you just drop a couple of names, Liz. That's what okay. you need to do. I All right, we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Moving on. Well, Liz, I wanted to tell you, you know, I like to tell you about movies that I don't intend to see, right? Or I have a new book that I am not going to read, and I want to share that with you. This is a new book that is just coming out, Maybe and the name of it is called Mary Smart by Susan Patton. Now, you made that name may sound familiar. You know, she's the Princeton mom. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Okay, this is the mom. She this Susan Patton actually went to Princeton and two of her, and her two sons went there as well. And she wrote a letter to the campus newspaper last year with with the with the um, advice uh, to women of Princeton that they should try to find a husband on campus before they graduate. Because according to Susan Patton, that never again would these women, uh, these high-achieving, ambitious women, would have access to so many single men that, that were their intellectual um, equals. Uh, do you remember when this came out? Yes. And it's, it's created a firestorm, right? A firestorm. They said that she was promoting archaic gender roles and that, you know, that you shouldn't, you know, uh, they even blamed her because her marriage ended in divorce and she didn't marry a Princeton man and that this was, you oh, know. Well, that was her problem, obviously. Yes. And so that, you know, she shouldn't be giving advice. So it really got ugly but um she did that didn't deter her so she decided to write a book about the same topic so the book is about her letter and so it's sort of an expanded thesis about that if you know where she is saying if you wait until you're 30 your marriage prospects are going to diminish and that this is when women really start to panic about whether or not they'll be able to find a mate and have kids so, I mean, she she makes this argument that really it's in your college years that, number one, you look the best. Even if you, <laughs> well, no, just stick with me on this. Okay. Stick with me. All right. I... She, she says, even if you're a little less polished, you have the vitality, you know, and uh, of, of someone in your 20s. You know, you do look, even if you look bad, you look good in your 20s. You know that, Liz. <laughs> yes. Well, you know I that. guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and uh, she said you're the most fertile in the 20s, uh, and that, um, and that she goes on and she says, look, men are uh, men in college uh, lump women into two groups. They say there's the girls that they want to have sex with, and then there are the girls that you that they want to marry, you know, at some point, mm-hmm. and that according to Susan Patton, that girls should do everything they should can to be in that second group. And she has, and she goes on with more specific advice, not to binge drink, not to have a lot of casual sex, uh, lose excess weight, uh, don't swear a lot, learn to cook, don't act like a privileged princess, try to cultivate a, a generous and forgiving spirit. Uh, you know, some of those things are not bad advice. Right, right, right. You have right. to say that. I mean, don't chase bad boys. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, the, sort of the binge drinking. Yeah, that's never good. Whether no. you're, whether you're looking for a husband or not, binge drinking is not going to be that helpful. No, it isn't. And you know, a lot of casual sex probably not a good idea. Yeah, you know, probably and, not uh, a good idea. You know, to be generous and forgiving, good. She, she says, don't be a gold digger. You know, she said, earn your own money. Um, 
but she said when you start college, you should start looking for a lifelong mate very seriously. So, Liz, okay. I've been thinking about all of this when I read when I read this review of this mm -hmm. book that I am never going to read. <laughs> as, uh, you know, urge where she's urging young girls, eight, you know, eighteen and older, to really focus in on finding the one. Because uh, mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think some of these things that she's saying are a good idea: not to binge drink, not to have casual sex, on and on. But the problem is, you know, she says, you know, there is this giant pool of, you know, intellectually uh, comparable men here in college, and this is what you should focus on. But the problem is, have you, you remember what 20-year-old guys are like. <laughs> I know, right? yes, I know. This I is know. the problem with their, one of many problems with their thesis. <laughs> with their whole thesis, yes. I, the women may be mature. <laughs> they may have, like, adopted all of these things, and, you know, so, but... But they have to find their mates among these, like, knuckleheads in college, right? <laughs> Who are into casual sex. And, and just it, couldn't love binge drinking more. No, yes. no. Right, right. And have, you know, <laughs> that want to swear a lot, that do not want to act like gentlemen, that uh, have no intention of learning how to cook, uh, you know, et cetera. I mean, yes. so... I, I don't know. I, this, I know it's, this book will, uh, you know, this, now that the book is out, we'll be circling back on this topic one more time. But I think that's the real flaw in her argument as yeah. I think yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about, like, the, the women in our family. Um, for instance, you did, as you mentioned earlier, you actually did meet your husband in college. Yes, I did. Liz. And you got married right after college, right? A yes. year after you were out of school. Correct? We were just, just young and stupid. We yes. got, yes, yes, yes. But what made him stand out in a crowd of knuckleheads? I mean, clearly your husband was never a knucklehead, right? Uh, well, I, not when I knew him, Liz. Yeah. I, I think maybe maybe earlier he was in the knucklehead category. No, I he was the one for me, Liz. Yeah. and that was that was it. I, I you know, but was I looking for the one in college? Did I have this? Did I have the like? Is that what we want to tell young women that you know, like, yeah. in addition to you know the you know trying to start your career and get an education and a degree you should also be looking for your husband and if you don't achieve that then you're some kind of failure no and no, of course yeah. of course so but, i would contrast your uh, situation in college to say yes. Leanne's. Yes. So Leanne, as we know, is happily married to her husband. Right. But you may or may not know, Julie of course knows this, but Leanne met her husband in college yes. when he was a complete knucklehead. Right. And hated him in college. Yes. Literally shunned him for four years of college because she thought he was such a knucklehead. And I take her word for it. And he would be the first to say he was in his knucklehead phase. Right, right, right. So then years go by. It's like five years after college. Now they meet again at a mutual friend's wedding. And what happens there? Bada boom, bada bing. They fall in right. love. A year later, they're married. But he's worked out all of the knuckleheadedness by that. <laughs> right. So I plan to write a book on how to find... The, like the diamond in the rough, the knuckle, how to look beyond the knucklehead to find the one. What do you think, Liz? <laughs> it's good. I also think it's so, there is something insanely elitist about 
someone like her saying, like, while you're at Princeton, these are the best people you're ever going to, best pool of candidates, which is that, that, first of all, that is crazy. Secondly, I would ask her, okay, would you give the same advice to um, a woman who was at Cascade Community College, right? Like, okay, now she's in college. She's trying to get her degree. She's trying to figure out what she wants to do with her. Are you, are you, what's her name? Sarah, Sally, whatever? Susan. 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 Okay, okay, Susan. Are you going to, is that advice you would give across the board to women in that age group in college? Or is it only somehow because you and your people were at Princeton that you think this is the moment to strike? I, I suspect she would not be telling average women in average educational institutions that, you know, 18 or 19 is a good time to shop for a husband, you know? So that's the part. You're right, Julie. No one should read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Another successful book review, Liz. And, of course, spoken by me, someone who has never married, so that does make me an expert. That makes me a total well, expert. But as, as you always say, Liz, you know many married people. And yes, you've I do. served many marriages. Mm-hmm. So uh, there you have it. But yep. it I just, have my own kind of expertise on this. Yeah. So Okay. Any, Anyway, uh, one other story that really just caught my eye um, is uh, it was in the, the Wall Street Journal on Saturday, and that was a piece put together by Sheryl Sandberg. Now, you know who she is, Liz. Yep. She's uh, chief operating officer of Facebook, and she wrote the wildly successful book, which I, en- I ended up reading Lean In, Liz, which yep. I know you have read as well, and also Anna Marie Chavez, who is CEO of Girl Scouts of America. And you probably have met her at one of your summits i suspect Mm -hmm. okay well they have a um they have a new thing where they are really it's a campaign that the two of them are working on because they have come to realize that confident girls are often called bossy and it can keep them from reaching their full potential that you know when you think about young girls um and they have a cute story in here where Cheryl Sandberg had two siblings, and her brother at Cheryl's wedding stood up and told the story that he, um, he you know, that he never really felt like a brother to Cheryl. He felt like um, employee number one, and the other brother was employee number two. <laughs> that Cheryl was a very bossy little girl, and that they didn't really play, but she she just bossed the play around, even as a child. But that this was actually a very positive leadership um, trait in her, and that she was able to cultivate it over the course of her life, and she's been very successful. But they have, they were coming out and they were, they cited a number of studies that show by middle school, most girls are much less interested in any kind of leadership role in school. And that in many cases, girls 8 to 17 avoid leadership roles for fear of being considered bossy. You know, everybody knows about the other B word, but bossy can be a terrible negative stereotype and that calling a girl bossy really 
undermines her ability to see herself as a leader, you know, that, uh, and so they have a whole anti-bossy campaign that they, you know, they want girls to feel like they can take leadership roles and it's all right to be in charge and to be organizing, whether it's play or something at Girl Scouts or running for, you know, president of your class in seventh grade, that these are all good things to do and, and to get people not to call them bossy. I think it's so true. I think I've seen um, Cheryl in groups where if she's speaking to a big group, she'll say, okay, you know, women in the room, if you've ever been called bossy, raise your hand. And, you know, two-thirds of the women raise their hand because if you're the type that shows up to hear Cheryl Sandberg, you are, you know, you have leadership skills, let's just say that. And then she'll say the same thing to the men in the room. Like, men in the room, if you've ever been called bossy, raise your hand. And nobody does. Right. Because it's right. just not a word that would ever be applied to uh, applied to men, you know, because it has this pejorative tone to it, and leadership from men would always be considered a positive thing. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear, Julie, you've come around to the 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 wit and wisdom of Cheryl Sandberg, because when you and Leon originally debated Lean In when it came yes. out. <laughs> Again, it was a book I hadn't read at the time. I had, I had a full-blown opinion of it. <laughs> See, sometimes you just got to sit back and take in the material, let, live with it a little bit, and you can find the parts of it that are useful to you. Okay, well, that's ending on the, like, let's all be bossy tone on International Women's Day. Seems like a good place to wrap it up, Jewel. I think so, Liz. Uh, I have enjoyed uh, Satellite Sisters Express. <laughs> the, uh, okay, so you've got the christening this weekend. You've got yes. the wedding this weekend. Let's see, what do I have? I have, oh, I have the Cosmos premiere Sunday night at 9 on uh, the National Geographic Channel. And, uh, you know. So how many plugs is that in one 45-minute uh, podcast list? I'm not sure. But uh, can, can I just say that I, I hardly ever plug anything that I'm working on. Because most things, it's like, do I really need to tell you to watch, you know, the walking dead. No. Um, but something like this, it's just, I really do want people to give it a chance because it's kind of epic and, uh, you know, it's not the kind of thing that big TV networks produce much anymore. So just, just give it a try. People give it a try. Um, and I noticed on our Facebook group that, cause I had posted a couple of notices, the reviews have been like unfailingly awesome. And uh, somebody had posted on our Facebook group that she was concerned when she heard that Seth MacFarlane was the executive producer because she was not a fan of Seth. Because, you know, Seth can be a little bit vulgar. And, uh, you know, if you're not a fan of Family Guy and you're afraid that there's some of that Family Guy spirit that's going to be coming through in Cosmos, I can understand that. But let me tell you, Seth is a total science geek. He is not in this show, but he executive produced it. And if it wasn't for someone like Seth MacFarlane believing in it so much, I'm not sure it ever would have been produced. So I think you're going to see the uh, Seth can use, uh, one reviewer said, Seth can use his powers for evil or his powers for good. And, and in this case, definitely using his powers for good. So, okay. Well, I can't wait, Liz. I'm really excited. It's going to be, uh, do you have a big viewing party planned? What, what are your plans for tomorrow night? There actually is a big viewing party uh plan but i don't think i want to go to it julie i like i'd rather just sit home and view it 
and I, see it on see it on a little television. See it on a real TV, and also then you can like watch what's happening on Twitter and Facebook, and you can. Whereas if you're at the party and you're chit chatting with people, and I don't know, I, I'm so I I RSVP'd yes, but I don't think I'm really going. Okay. So you can send your dog. Send your celebrity dog. <laughs> I, I will let you know next week. Okay. Okay. So you can follow us on uh, Twitter. We're at Sat Sisters. Facebook. Join our Facebook group. There's uh, there's a fun bunch of Satellite Sisters talking about stuff all the time over there. And uh, we'll be back uh, midweek, right? You and uh, Leanne will yes. have a show midweek, Julie? Yes, we will. There will be a show on Tuesday. No uh, doubt. All right. So we are the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your satellite sister.